0: Well, we
1: are so thankful and grateful for the presence of God this morning. We're sharing in the back about Psalm 103, verse 1, about blessing the Lord. So why don't we all come together and let's praise God. Let's worship him. Let's have it in our own hearts, a resolve to bless the Lord. Amen? Hallelujah.
2: It I'm going to live like my shame is gone, won't be shackled to the way I was, I'm going to live like my chains are gone. gone, gone, now.
0: Things possible by the power of the Holy Ghost
2: Take it da da
0: i To. How great is the
2: hope that lives in you? The passion that told. The
0: Jesus, and from death to life, I will sing His praise. And the wonder of Your grace. When I see that cross, I see freedom. When I see that grave, I see Jesus. And from death to life, I will sing praise. Come on, church, let's sing it together. When I
1: Remind our hearts again of the grace that we have in Jesus Christ, the grace that we find on the cross, the grace that we experience by knowing His resurrection life in and through us by the power of His Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you to connect with the Lord right now, to connect with the Holy Spirit, to receive His grace for however long you've been walking with the Lord and however long you've known God or been coming to church. I want to remind you that His grace is. And his mercy is fresh and new every single morning. doesn't matter what happened yesterday or this past year. It's about the here and now between you and God and the grace that you can receive through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's just thank God. Let's thank him for his grace and his goodness. We worship you, Lord. We thank you, God. Hallelujah. Well, y'all came to worship this morning because I'm already sweating a little bit. And that's always a good sign, right? So why don't you just greet somebody from afar, give them a little air high five or air wave, air fist bump, whatever you feel comfortable doing. We're going to continue our time of worship by talking about our offering to the Lord. And I'm going to invite Jacob to come up and to share. So why don't we give Jacob a warm welcome?
3: Amen. Y'all can be seated. So good to be back in church, right? here's a good thing although the building may have been closed but the church has been open for eight months right so we want to thank each and every one of you for generously contributing to keeping god's house open and uh, for for continuing to just invest and um plant your seed in god's church so we're so grateful for you if you're watching online we thank you so much and uh This morning you may notice there's no uh, envelopes or anything behind your seats or maybe on the floor in front of you because we are going digital. So if if you need to know how to give or you want to know how to give, there's many ways that you can do so. You can download our Newport Church app. There's giving options there. You can go to our website. There are options on the website. You can go to give and give right there. It's really easy. Um, You can also text give to 7797 and it will send you a link. Able to give, and you can also go right out to the connect zone right outside of, of this. If you're physically in this location, you can go out and we can provide you with an, uh, an envelope to be able to give in the old school, you know, via cash or checks. So, I was reminded this week of something that has been on my heart really since the beginning of this uh, pandemic and, and this time of closing. There's a story that is in One Kings, and it's of Elisha when he goes. And he, he greets the woman, and she's gathering a few sticks to build a fire just to be able to have her last meal is what she says. And he says, hey, I need you to go get something, or excuse me, I need you to go make me some food first before you eat. And, you know, she's confused, and she's like, well, this is our last meal, basically. And he says, you do that. So she obeys, and she listens, and she goes and gets it. And the, the great thing about that is after she did that, she gave her first Elijah to God's prophet she gave her first and what it says here in in the uh, verse um, 14 it says for this is what the Lord God of Israel says a jar of flour will not be used up the jug of oil will not run dry The day the Lord until the day the Lord sends a rain to land, she went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah, for the woman, and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word the Lord had spoken to Elijah, come on, that is just like what we're going through this year. I want to. This is for somebody needs to hear this because this is what the Lord implanted on my heart. There's times where we're going through a little bit of tightness, a little bit of the unknown because of this pandemic. But we continue to give because we trust God. We continue to press in. We continue to lean in. Even though the church is closed, we continue to give. We continue to give our 10% to give our first to God. And what he's done through this season is he's been able to not only provide for us, but our jars have not run out. Our flour has not run dry. And it's great because in the Bible it says that, if you obey the Lord of heaven's Armies, he will throw open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great that you will not be able to take it in. And some of us may just be in a season where our oil is not running out and our flour is not dry. Some of us may be in a season where God has thrown open the windows of heaven during this pandemic. And I'm believing over each and every one of your lives as you give today that God is going to meet you right where you're at. Because it's not about how much you give. It's not about what you're giving. It's about how you're trusting God. Just like this woman. She trusted The man of God, and she gave, and her flower never ran dry, and her oil never ran out. So if you're at home and you're giving, we thank you. We are praying, and we are loving each and every one of you for your generosity. So let's pray over our giving. Father, we just thank you, God, that you first provided for us, God, and we just thank you, God, that as we give, that you will multiply the seed that's being sown, God, that you will bless each and every person in their life God you will meet them right where they're at and maybe their needs not financial God maybe their need is physical God that you will meet them in that place God maybe their need is in a relationship God that you will meet them relationally God because they are trusting in you God maybe their needs in health God that you will be a healing father, that you will be a God of healing in this place, God. And you are Jehovah Jireh. You are the Lord, our provider, God. And we trust you. We believe in you. And we love you. And we give you this offering today, God. And we are so grateful for you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, come on. If you believe in Jesus that he is going to provide, come on, let's give him a round of applause. If you're at home, let's just right where you're at this morning, just give him a round of applause. Hey, it's so great to be back in church, right? Am I right? If you're at home, we love you. We're so glad that that you are streaming live with us today. Maybe you're watching this in the middle of the week or you're listening to it in your car. We love you. We are praying for you. We are grateful for you this morning. But if you want to know a little bit more about who we are as a church. Uh, Our mission as a church is to connect people to Christ, to their God-given purpose, and to life-giving relationships. So if you want to know more about who we are, get better connected into the life of the church, it's very easy to do so. Again, we are going digital. This is 2020. We are going digital into the new age, right? There was a TV show when I was a little boy that I used to watch called The Jetsons. Anybody remember The Jetsons? And it was all futuristic, right? And I used to watch this show and think, that will never happen. But it's so weird as we fast forward many years ahead, many, 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 many years ahead, that we are living almost in that time except for flying cars, right? But um, So we are digital. So you can go onto our website. You can go to uh, connect with us and fill out the information. Uh, someone from our team will get with you. Um, also, you can download our Newport Church app, as I mentioned, and we can get uh, back to you. We have a connect team that is eager, waiting, and willing to get in touch with you. We you love you. We want to be able to partner with you in your walk of life wherever you are. And we are here for you. And uh, we are excited for the word today. If you're excited for the word, let's stand up this morning as we honor that word. And we welcome our senior pastor, Jonathan Wilson, to the platform. Come on, church. Let's give him a round of applause.
4: Thank you, Jacob. I feel like I'm in a sporting event or something when he... I'm about to jump into the ring and wrestle with someone. All right, well, good to see you. And uh, if you're online, can't see you, but I know you're there. And we're so glad that you joined us for our service this morning. Um, I'm going to take a moment to pray, and then we're going to get into the Word. Father, I thank you today for your grace. We thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you that we can gather together. Where you, where two or more are gathered together, there are you in the midst. And so today, I thank you. I pray that you would help me to communicate your heart and from your spirit. And may our hearts be open, and may faith rise in our hearts in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's been a week of birthdays. Polly Elman. Uh, her mum, Rosemary Roosh, Paul Roosh, my wife Di, who last week I neglected to mention her birthday, and she didn't say anything. I didn't forget her birthday, but just didn't mention it in the service, so happy birthday to her as well, and so glad that you came out today, and uh, I know it's awkward wearing masks. anyone find it awkward? Um, well... We, we kind of got to get used to it in a, in a way. I've been on a plane to uh, Dallas, packed full of people, all wearing masks, three and a half hours, then another flight from there. How much fun that was not. Um, but I reckon the, the benefits of gather, gathering together far outweigh the uh, discomfort of wearing a mask. And so I'm thankful that you came. You're pioneers. You're leading the way, and uh, we're very thankful for that, and of course, if you're watching online, come and join us. We'd love to see you, but glad that you can thank God for, for uh, 21st century technology, and uh, um, we are going to continue to do what God's called us to do, continue to gather, continue to build the church, so thank you for being with us today. All right, I want to continue with this series that I started uh, a few weeks back, started it online. I spoke last week about great grace, great grace. And the title of my message this morning is The Place of Grace, The Place of Grace. John 1 and verse 17, we read there that for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. How much we all need grace. We all need God's grace. We need grace for the days that we're in. Uh, In our generation, certainly living in the United States of America, we have needed grace like we have not needed for many a year. The word grace literally means the unearned, uh, undeserved favor and spiritual blessing of God. Basically, when we are forgiven by God, we receive His grace, and we receive what we don't deserve, which is forgiveness, and we don't receive what we do deserve, which is judgment. And so this morning, I want to speak about specifically the place of grace, and I want to ask a few questions. I want you to think about this for a moment, if you would, with me. Number one. What place does grace have in your life? What place does grace have in your life? The second question is this. Are you living from a place of grace or from a place of works? Are you living from a place of grace or a place of works? And then thirdly, uh, uh, sorry, uh, where do we find that place of grace? Where do we find that place of grace? grace. How do I live from a place of grace? So, number one, um, what place does grace take in your life? I wonder if it's grace is central or if it's peripheral. I wonder if grace is something that you depend on God for every day or it's just something that you call out to God for when you're going through a difficult time, when we're feeling overwhelmed, when we feel like we're, we're struggling to keep our head above water, we cry out to God, God, I need your grace. Or maybe it's when we've blown it. Anyone blew it this week? Don't put your hand up. Uh, maybe it's when we've blown it. We need God's forgiveness. We need someone's forgiveness. We hope that someone will show grace towards us because of something that we have done. We've made a mistake or we've messed up. I love what Corey Ten Boom said. Corrie Ten Boom, who wrote the book, The Hiding Place, um, has an amazing story. And she talks about prayer. She says, is prayer your, ste- is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare wheel? In other words, is it the, does it, are you, uh, do you have your hands on the wheel? Hopefully, you have the hands on, your hands on the wheel when you drive, not your phone, not checking your text messages. You watch, you've got your hands on the wheel. Or is, it a, or is it a spare wheel, just when we, we've had a flat tire, when we're going through a difficult time? And I, I, I think that grace is something that, we, that should be central to our lives, not peripheral to our lives. Um, that grace is like the hub on a wheel. Remember, uh, maybe you had a bicycle, maybe you have a bicycle, um, and your bicycle has spokes, and those spokes all... Uh, are attached to the hub and then the rim of the tire. And it's the hub that gives strength to the spokes. And if the spokes are every single aspect of our lives, grace is the hub that should flow through every area and every aspect of our lives. I like to think of that analogy because I feel it's a great example of how faith can be central to our lives. It's the central theme. It's the resound resounding tone of our lives. It's what colors every thought and every action of our lives. I love what Marcus Aurelius said. He said, the soul becomes dyed with the color of its thoughts. Think about that for a minute. If our thoughts, if our prevailing attitude is grace, then our lives, our our, our soul is going to become colored or dyed with the color of grace. Grace is going to emanate and flow from our lives. grace becomes the brush that paints our souls. And so we're looking for grace. Grace is central. I need God's grace. I need God's grace to forgive me. I need God's grace to help me through every day, through every circumstance and situation. Secondly, where do I find grace? Well. We just read the law came through Moses, but grace came through the person of Jesus Christ. If I'm looking for grace, it's much harder to find in the law of Moses than it is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Although the law of Moses set up the foundation for the New Testament, for the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of grace. And John 1.14, we read, One of my favorite verses in the Bible, And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. From the time of Moses, approximately 1500 B.C. to the time of Jesus, all of the Jewish people, the people of God, lived under the law. The law of Moses, which taught them how to approach God, how to obey God, how to please God. They lived according to those rules and regulations. And of course, within those rules and regulations, God wanted them to have a personal connection and relationship with Him. But nevertheless, all of their their faith or their religious experience was based on works, human effort, human activity. And the Old Testament was a covenant of law, but when Jesus came, he established a new covenant, the covenant of grace. And those who are worshiping God, you and I, don't come here this morning on the basis of what we've done this week. How many of you can thank God for that? It's based on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and so we We are coming to God this morning from a place of grace, from a position of grace, from an understanding of grace, not based on our works. A place of grace, not a place of works. Why is it that we can no longer approach God for His approval through our works? Because we all know the Word of God tells us, Romans 3 and verse 20 Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Romans three twenty three. one of the first verses I learned as a young Christian when I, I first got saved and, and uh, became a new Christian counselor for a Billy Graham crusade in Australia in Randwick Racecourse in 1979. Who was not alive in 1979? Michael, you need to work on your truth. But I have plenty of grace towards you. 1979, and I learned this, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why the law, we could not be justified by the law. The good news is our walk with God is no longer from a place of works, but a place of grace. So secondly, we find our grace in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The more I'm connected to Him, the more grace flows through my life and flows out of my life. Third thing, how do we live from a place of grace? How do we live from a place of grace? Well, the first thing we need to understand is that we can't live from a place of grace unless we've experienced it ourselves. Jesus tells a story of a, a woman who goes to a Pharisee's house. His name was Simon, Simon the Pharisee. And this woman, while Jesus was eating with Simon, this woman came to the house. The Bible tells us that she was an immoral woman. She was known in that town as being an immoral woman. And while Jesus was eating with this religious man, she came and she fell at Jesus' feet and she began to weep over Jesus' feet she wept no doubt for her overwhelming sense of guilt, her overwhelming sense of need for forgiveness. And as she wept, her tears fell on Jesus' feet and she washed his feet with her tears and dried it with her hair and then anointed his feet with, with oil, costly oil. And of course, the Pharisee, who was a religious man, he said, if this, if, if this man, Jesus, knew who this woman was, He wouldn't let her touch him. And then Jesus turned to him and said, Simon, I want to ask you a question, knowing his thoughts. There were two men. One owed someone 50 pieces of silver. The other owed someone 500 pieces of silver. Neither could pay the debt, but they asked for the the person that they owed the money to to forgive them. They were both forgiven. One for 50, one for 500. Who do you think loved the one that forgived him or forgave them the most. And so he said, that's not hard to work out. The one who was forgiven 500 pieces of silver. And then Jesus said, this woman who came with an overwhelming sense of her own sin and came and, and, and did what she did, she did it because of her great love. She did it out of that place. He said, I tell you that her sins are many, and they have been forgiven. Um, So she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows little love. In other words, Jesus was saying, if you've experienced great forgiveness, if you experience great love, then that love is going to flow out of your life. We can't experience grace when we've never known grace. Maybe you grew up in an environment where there wasn't a lot of grace. Almost certainly you grew up in an environment where there wasn't a lot of grace because in your home or in your, in your uh, school or in your environment or in your community or in the prevailing culture, there was no real sense of grace. Grace can only come out of our lives we can only live from a place of grace when we've experienced God's grace. We can only really love with the love of God when we've experienced God's love. And I love this story. It's a, it's a very powerful story in the book of uh, Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, and it's chapter 18, rather. And we're going to read from it. And. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, "O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Two people are praying to God. One of them is a Pharisee, a religious man. The other is a tax collector. They are two people at the opposite ends of the social spectrum. Pharisees were people who held positions of honor in society. Tax collectors were despised. Tax collectors were so despised that they were not even allowed to give testimony in court because their testimony would not be counted. And so Jesus the, the, Jesus was setting his listeners up for an unexpected twist in the story. Two such people were, ob- were praying, obviously to everyone that was listening, God was going to commend the Pharisee and condemn the tax collector. But no, the very opposite happens. Why? It was all to do with the place in which they stood as they prayed and approached God. The Pharisee was self-righteous. The tax collector was contrite. The Pharisee was proud. The tax collector was humble. The Pharisee thought his prayers deserved to be answered more than the tax collector deserved to have his prayers answered. The tax collector cried out for mercy, knowing he could only be rescued through God's grace and through God's mercy. And the twist in the story comes when Jesus says it was the sinner who went home justified by God rather than the self-righteous, rule-keeping Pharisee. The people who heard that story were shocked and why was the, the sinner justified and the Pharisee not justified? The Pharisee didn't think he needed God's grace. And he was sure he had gained God's approval through observation of the law, through his works, through his performance. He had great pride in the fact that he would kept the law. The tax collector, however, was acutely aware of his need for God's grace. He knew that he had failed to live up to the expectations of the law. He knew that he had broken the law. He knew that he deserved judgment, and that was his only hope. His only hope was God's grace, and that Jesus points out that the the Pharisee, with all his knowledge, got it wrong. The tax collector was no expert in the law, but he got it right. Why? not because of their knowledge but because of their recognition of their need for grace we've all sinned we've all fallen short of the glory of god and the tax collector showed true humility in his repentance and cry for god's grace and jesus was highlighting again yet again that that is the attitude that we as followers of jesus christ must approach god with an attitude of humility, an attitude of that we need God's grace, an attitude that we didn't deserve God's grace and forgiveness, but we are recipients of that. And that becomes the overwhelming tone of our life, and it affects everything about us, the way we talk to people, the way we treat people, the way we welcome people, the way we view people, the way we interact with people. We find that place of grace, in Jesus, and the one who approached God from a place of works on the basis of all that he had done to keep the law was left unjustified, but the one who approached God from a place of grace was justified. When we live from a place of grace, it affects and transforms three things that I want to highlight now. Number one, it affects the way we see ourselves. Number two, it affects the way we see others. And number three, it affects the way we see our world. And all three of them are seen in this parable. So number one, the way we see ourselves. I want to ask you the question, how do you see yourself today? And we can tell how much we understand grace by the way that we see ourselves. I'm going to repeat that. The measure of how much we understand grace is determined by the way that we see ourselves. The Pharisee had never received grace. He'd only lived from a place of law. He'd only lived from a place of works. He'd only lived from a place where his value, his worth, his place in society was measured by his performance. He saw himself through the eyes of his works, through his personal performance. So he came to church this morning thinking, I fasted twice this week, I've prayed, I've sought God, I've tithed, I'm a good I'm a good religious person, and he measured his own life that way. He saw himself through the things that he had done. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. We read this. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm not looking anywhere. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give you a tenth of my income. He saw himself as justified by by fulfilling the requirements and expectations of the law. He prayed. He fasted. He tithed. He was living from a place of works. His approval from God was based on his personal performance. And because he did all that, and he said that he did that, and he was proud of the fact that he did that, what was his problem? His problem was pride. His problem was self-righteousness. His problem was that he felt superior to everyone else. Because of what he had done. Because he was living from a place of works. And the problem with living from a place of works is that we will always see ourselves as being measured by our personal performance. I want to repeat that. We will always see ourselves that our value, our worth, our identity is all to do with our personal performance performance, from what we do. And we will, I, we will feel one of two things. We will either feel superior. I'm better than you. I know better than you. My life is a better example than yours. We'll either feel superior or we will feel inferior. When we measure ourselves by our works, when we measure ourselves by our performance, the result is that we will always either enter into the realm of pride and superiority or we we'll enter into the realm where we'll be beating ourselves up and we'll be feeling inferior. Why? Because we're measuring our value and ourselves by our performance. We're measuring up either to the expectations of the moral code of the day. the cultural environment that we're in I'm not even going to get into that but over the last however many months the way that the the cultural environment has been so volatile and so polarized and and so on and so forth how many people have known how to measure up to what everyone's saying how many people have felt I don't want to open my mouth because I'm going to say the wrong thing don't have to respond. It's a rhetorical question. When we are measuring up to other people's expectations, whether it's God's law, whether it's our parents' expectations, maybe you lived in a household where your parents had very high expectations, whether it's your siblings, whether it's your family, whether it's your friends, whether it's your culture, our culture, whether it's popular culture. The way we see ourselves will always be based on our personal performance. And the problem is that we live in a world where it seems that everyone is measured by their personal performance. Thank you for that underwhelming response. It's so easy to feel like we're not measuring up, it's so easy to feel like we're falling short. It's so easy to feel that everyone else is doing better than that because we live under the tyranny of the metrics by which we judge our lives and compare ourselves with others. Social media, of course, is the classic place where we do that. And I don't often recommend programs or movies, but I encourage you to watch The Social Dilemma, which is a which is a documentary on social media and the impact of social media on our society and on young people today. It's a very revealing and eye-opening docu-movie. Social media. How many young people do you know from our kids through to the older generation and so many of the metrics, how many followers we have, how many friends we have on Facebook, how many likes, how many mentions, how many reposts, how many know what I'm talking about. We live under the tyranny of those measurements and they're all measurements that affect the way we see ourselves because they're all to do with our personal performance. The tax collector, however, he saw himself very differently. He stood at a distance. He dared not, he stood at a distance because he didn't think he was worthy to to come close. He didn't even look up to heaven because he didn't think God would, would, he wasn't worthy to be accepted by God. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. The way he saw himself caused him to approach God knowing he needed God's grace. He needed God's mercy. He was seeking that place of grace. And when we're living from a place of grace, and he received God's mercy, he received God's grace. When we're living from a place of grace. The way we measure ourselves is not by our personal performance. The way we measure ourselves, the way we measure our value, the way we measure our identity is always measured by the measure of grace that we've received from Jesus Christ. Because we're all sinners. We've all fallen short. We've all blown it. We are all in the same place. We are not better than one another. Whatever... Our social statuses, whatever the level of our success, we are not better. When it comes to God, our value is determined by the unspeakable, wonderful, amazing grace of God that's extended towards each and every one of us, regardless of our performance. And that's what Jesus wanted the wanted those that were listening to understand the measure the measure of our lives is not by the measure of our personal determined by the measure of our personal performance it's determined by the measure of grace that we receive from god now paul says just in case you think this is an opportunity for you to sin just remember we did not receive grace so that we could continue to sin We received grace so that we could be delivered from the tyranny of sin. So, Paul approaches God like this the wisest, smartest man of his day. He approaches God I'm a sinner, saved by grace. What are we all? At the end of the day, we're sinners, saved by grace. We're all on the same page. And if we've got anything that we're going to glory in, let us glory in God and His grace towards each and every one of us. Secondly, the second thing is it affects the way we see others. First of all, it affects the way we see ourselves. Secondly, it affects the way we see others. If we're, this is, this is nice. I have some musical accompaniment. If we're living from a place of grace, if we're living from a place of works, rather, we've, we, will never, we will never know God's grace. We'll always see others through the lens of their performance. If I'm living from a place of works, if I'm measuring myself by my personal performance, I'm always going to measure you by your personal performance. If people, sometimes you'll encounter people who are very hard on you. Usually the reason they're very hard on you is because someone's been very hard on them and they're very hard on themselves. We'll always look at others through the lens of their performance if we're living from a place of works rather than living from a place of grace. If we're living from a place of grace, we're always going to look at others through the lens of the grace that we've received. The Pharisee saw himself better than others because of his works, because of his personal performance. He stood by himself, aloof from everyone else didn't want to be identified with them, didn't want to have any contact, wanted to stay as far away from that tax collector and sinner as he could. And he looked at the tax collector, and he compared himself with that man. And when we're living from a place of works, we will always be comparing ourselves with others. What is one of the biggest problems we face in our world today is the tyranny of comparison. comparison. We are always comparing ourselves with others. Comparing ourselves with success. And I don't want to get back on the social media thing, but social media is probably the worst offender at creating that sense of comparison amongst us. Comparing ourselves with others. And he was living from a place of works. He was saying, I fast twice a week. I tithe. I come and pray in the temple. They're cheaters, they're sinners, they're adulterers, adulterers. I'm good, they deserve God's judgment. He compared himself, comparing himself as superior to the inferior, to the righteous, to the sinners, from the honest to the cheaters. There was no grace in his life because he'd never experienced any grace. He didn't know how to extend grace to others. But the tax collector, he wasn't focusing, He, he, he wasn't even aware of the self-righteous Pharisee there. The self-righteous Pharisee was looking all around him. Hi there, Pablo. Looking all around what everyone else was doing, comparing himself, I'm good. Put himself in the pecking order. The, 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 the tax collector was there. He was beating his breast. He was weeping. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He was unaware of what it was going on in everyone else's lives. He just had this deep sense that he needed to be forgiven. He needed God's grace. He cried out to God for mercy and when he found mercy he no doubt left that place with a sense I am never leaving this place of grace again. I'm never going to live that way. And the place of grace means that I'm going to look at others through the same lens of grace that Jesus looked at me with. If we've received grace we can only look at others through the lens of grace. Which is why we do ourselves injustice and we do others injustice when we begin to judge others and judgment becomes a pattern of our lives. And sadly, we're in a day like that where it seems that more and more judgment is taking place of others, of others' opinions, of what others are doing. But when we understand the grace we have grace. We understand God's grace towards us. We were still sinners and Christ died for us. And when we know that, that, that when we were still sinners that Christ died for us, we are deeply and profoundly impacted and aware of the fact that while we were sinners, while we didn't see eye to eye with Jesus, while we didn't agree with God, while we lived our lives in a totally contrary way, God did not cancel us. God did not reject us. God did not treat us the way that we deserve. God did not unfriend us. God did not unfollow us. God did not do that because he saw us through the eyes of grace. And when we're recipients of grace, when we know that we only stand on the ground of grace and grace alone, when we know that we're seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus because of His grace, we extend grace to everyone. Have you ever heard that statement? There but for the grace of God go I. That statement comes from a man by the name of John Bradford who was burned at the stake on the 1st of July, 1955 by Mary Tudor after being imprisoned in the Tower of London. And he was an English reformer. And prior to his imprisonment and his martyrdom, he saw a criminal being led to execution. And even though he was a reformer, he was a believer, he was a born-again Christian, and he saw this criminal who may well have been worthy of execution, going to execution, he exclaimed these words, There, but for the grace of God, goes John Bradford. He knew that the same evil principles were in his own heart, which had brought that criminal to a shameful end. He knew his own potential to sin. He knew his own potential to lose his way. He knew that he had the potential to have done what that person did. But by the grace of God, somehow God took a hold of his life. Somehow he had an experience with Christ. Somehow God chose him. Somehow God encountered him and transformed his life so that he, as a recipient of God's grace, could live with grace and grace towards others. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. How powerful a truth that is. And then thirdly, grace affects, the place of grace affects the way we see our world and interact with our world. the person who lives from a face place of works serves god out of duty out of obligation out of guilt out of necessity out of coercion even why because They've never had the experience of receiving God's grace that gives them such an overwhelming sense of gratitude that the reason they serve God, that they give of themselves, that they give of their time, they give of them their talent, they give their treasure, they give of their lives, the reason they give that is not out of a sense of duty, not out of a sense of obligation, not out of any other sense, but a sense of overwhelming sense of gratitude for what God has done. And I believe that that is one of the most powerful lessons that comes out of this story, that we serve God. When we have an experience with God, the motivation with which we serve God, the motivation of, what, of why we do what we do is not because we are altruistic, not because we're great people, not because... No, fundamentally because I have an overwhelming sense of gratitude to God that somehow He chose me. Somehow I had an encounter with Him. Somehow He, he found me. And I was transformed and changed by His grace and power. And I marvel at it every day. How is it that I, amongst all of my family and all of my friends and all of those that I left in in England all those years ago, somehow I had an encounter with Jesus. And I've got to tell you, the reason I serve Him, the reason I'm standing here, the reason I do what I do is I have an overwhelming sense of gratitude to God and I want to serve Him out of that gratitude. And when we do, grace will flow out of our lives. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to get the worship team to come. Matthew 10, 7 to 9. Jesus said, As you go, as you go out into the world, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. In other words, you have freely received the grace of God. Therefore, freely give and extend God's grace. Extend God's grace out of an attitude of gratitude. I continually bring myself back to the place where... Over 40 years ago, I had an encounter with Jesus Christ that transformed my life. And I want to keep that experience, not just something of the past, but something of the present. The day I saw Jesus standing in front of me with his arms open wide, loving me and accepting me exactly as I was, a wretched sinner, and I felt that overwhelming sense of love, and I wept like a baby, and I will be eternally thankful for that, and I don't ever want to do what I do out of a sense of obligation or out of a sense of duty or a sense that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be seen as a great citizen or whatever. I always want to do what I do out of an overwhelming sense of gratitude. Because I'm doing what I do from a place of grace, not a place of works. Maybe we need to come to that place more often than we do. Maybe when we accept Christ and make a decision to accept Christ, it shouldn't just be, oh yeah, okay, I'll accept Jesus. Thank you very much. No, maybe if we had more of what that tax collector experienced as he prayed God, where he wept and beat his chest and wept like a baby, maybe we would experience in our everyday life more gratitude, more of an overwhelming sense of there but for the grace of God go I, more of a sense of I live, And breathe grace let grace color every thought let grace color every action let grace color every aspect of my life so that I can live from a place of grace can you say amen to that come on let's stand together the team are gonna come and they're gonna lead us in a time of worship
0: Together, see it that you take it.
4: just in these moments, I want to ask everyone if you would to close your eyes and take a moment and pause and think about God's amazing love and grace. Maybe you're here today and like me, it's decades and decades since you had that moment where of realization when you experience God's love and overwhelming grace. Let's take this moment to ponder, to think, to meditate upon that, to to have a moment where we, we, we express from our hearts towards God our gratitude and our desire to express that gratitude by sharing what Jesus has done with us, with others. Freely we've received, not just to hold on to it. Freely we've received so that freely we can give. And maybe you're here today and you've never ever had an encounter with jesus you'd never ever come to know jesus and the way to know him is to basically open up your heart to be receptive to invite jesus to come into your life into your world because he wants to touch you with that grace that will cause you to be forgiven so that all of your sins will be forgiven washed away through the blood that he shed on the cross as the price that he paid for the penalty of our sin so that we could be forgiven. And all that you have to do is not to work out or work for your salvation or your forgiveness, just to receive it as a gift of grace and receive it by faith. And so whether you're here in the auditorium today or you are watching online I want to give you the opportunity to do that by just repeating this prayer after me and God will do what he promises to do he says behold Jesus said I stand at the door and knock if anyone opens that door I will come in and sit with him or her and eat with them that means you'll know what it is to be able to live with Jesus at the very center of your life and world you'll know what it is to receive the gift of forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. So let's pray that together now. And I'm praying and believing that you'll have an encounter with God that will change your life forever. No longer striving, no longer struggling, no longer trying to please God and please others, but knowing that you are forgiven, you are approved, you are blessed because of what Jesus did. Let's pray that. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me for my sins. May I know your grace. Forgive me. Give me a fresh start, a new beginning. And I determine in my heart that I will live the rest of my life with an overwhelming sense of gratitude. Help me to take your love into my world because of the love that you have shown me in Jesus mighty name amen amen give Jesus a big hand of praise if you prayed that prayer we'd love to connect with you if you're watching online there's a uh, there's some information there on how you can connect with us if you're here we have a team that would love to meet you give you a book called following Jesus And if you want to find out how to take the next step in your Christian walk, because this is just the beginning, you can do that by going to the Connect Desk here, if you're here in person or online, there's a link there that you can connect with us. We'd love to do everything we can to help you to take the next step in your walk with God. So glad you made that decision. Best decision anyone could ever make. Awesome. All right. Well, just before we close, one thing that I, I want to highlight. Um, every week, I write a, an email to the church. And I know how many people have had their inbox flooded with emails. Uh, I can't see you, but I'm by faith. I know you're lifting your hands uh, over this last eight months. But I send an email every week to the church, and I just share what's on my heart and what's in my spirit. And I encourage you to Take a moment to look at that, Um, and uh, our team try and put it together so uh, so it can be in a digestible form. But one of the things that I highlighted this week is that every year, we have a special offering that we give as a church at the end of the year, actually the weekend before Thanksgiving, and we've been doing it for the last 14 years. And that special offering is an offering that's over and above our normal giving, our normal donations, tithes, and offerings. But we call it a Thanksgiving offering. And I want to ask you to take a moment to pray about what part you can play in that Thanksgiving offering. Here's the principle. I think in the message I talked about how much we have to be thankful for. You know, the reason I tithe, the reason I give offerings and the reason I contribute to the Thanksgiving offering is that there's nothing. I I do it out of of an attitude of gratitude to God, thankfulness to God for what he's done for me. But, you know, I'm also aware of the fact that uh, I'm not getting any younger. I'm aware of the fact I'm not going to be here forever. But I can invest in the next generation. And what we're doing as a church, you may think, well, we're just, we're isolated in a moment of time. We're not. We're a part of a continuum of the church of Jesus Christ that has been going on for literally 2,000 years. Here's an interesting thought. 2029, we will celebrate the 2,000th anniversary of the death of Jesus and his resurrection. That's somehow significant. And we have an opportunity to invest in the next generation. What we're doing as a church is we are a part of that continuum of faith. David says, One generation shall declare your mighty acts and mighty works to another generation. And so our Thanksgiving offering is basically this. We're giving out of gratitude to God so that we can continue the work that we have as a, hu- as a church to be a hub of hope and faith, but also it's in gratitude to the previous generations, some of whom gave their lives, like, for example, Mr. Bradford in 1555. For the faith so that we can experience the liberties and freedoms and faith that we experience today this is an opportunity for us we're giving a thanksgiving offering out of gratitude for what others have done and we're paying it forward to the next generation so that we can be a blessing to them so i want to encourage you to pray about three things number one this week would you do this Think about what, how much God has done for you. Secondly, think about what we can do for others through the giving of our time, talent, and our treasure. And then thirdly, ask God and pray what God would have you to do. If you're a kingdom builder or you made a commitment to our 2020 vision, everything that you give in that offering will go towards that commitment that you made but let's do something extraordinary because we know we're a part of that continuum of faith and we can do something to make a difference in the next generation can you say amen to that amen all right good good well our time is up so glad you could come if you're watching online we'd love to see you next week and let me pray for you father i pray for your favor your blessing your goodness on each and every person. And we thank you today for your overwhelming, abundant grace and mercy. Help us to continually live from a place of grace. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next weekend.